So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 5. In the days of Herod king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So what we have here is a story about impossibilities. It's already past time for her to bear children. He's old. Um, they are righteous. They are. They, it literally says that they follow all the commandments blamelessly. And so these are people who are living for God with all of their being. But they have never had a child. And all of a sudden, Zechariah gets kind of like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to see actually go into the Holy of Holies and to drop, not Holy of Holies, go into the temple and offer incense, excuse me, uh, before the Lord. And when he offers the incense before the Lord, everyone else is outside of the temple and they are praying for him and Zechariah goes in there and all of a sudden an angel appears to him. And so he takes a lot longer time in the temple than he normally should have. And people started getting concerned. And while he's in there, the angel, whose name is Gabriel, says, I've come to tell you that your prayer has been heard. God has heard your prayer and is about to answer it. You and your wife will bear a son, and you will call him John. And then he goes on to tell him about the ministry that John's going to have. And this faithful, righteous God-fearing person goes, how in the world is that going to be Something he's prayed for for years. This man who trusts God and lives his life in such a way that he's blameless in God's eyes as far as his, his, his following of the teachings and his response when God says, I've heard and I'm going to answer your prayers is, yeah, right. I don't understand that, but I know that. Because <laughs> I'm exactly the same way. I think when I think about it, and, and I, what I'm going to try and do over the next four weeks is I want us to look at the real lives of Bible people um, that, that, have, that are part of this story of the Christian. And I just want to be real about Zechariah. And Elizabeth. I mean, think about their normal day-to-day life. They're both old. They've lived their lives. In, in her mind, she's probably thinking, I'm shriveled. I'm old. I'm done. I've passed any opportunity for being a mom. So let's just get on with the rest of my life and be done. And Zechariah, he's been a priest, but he's finally come, come to the pinnacle right here. Seriously, this is, this is pretty much a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. For someone who, who is a part of the Aaronic family to actually be able to go in and offer incense. There's, there's so many of them that the chances of him being called up again to do this are very slim. So this is like the pinnacle of his career. And he, but he has this deep-seated um, longing that has never been met. He wanted to be a father. He wanted to have a child. And his wife desperately wanted to be a mother. And 
they just perceived that God just never was going to grant that. So they had come to the point in their minds that that was a hopeless dream. It was never going to come about. So they had given all, all hope of ever seeing that dream fulfilled. That doesn't mean that it still wasn't there. Didn't mean that it wasn't genuine, that it wasn't something that they always wanted and that they still would love, but they'd given up all There was just not, there's no way that that could ever happen. So let's just stop worrying about it. Let's move on. And all of a sudden, in God's perfect timing, God says, I've heard your prayer, and I'm going to answer it. <laughs> yeah, right. Sure. How am I supposed to even believe or have any hope at this point? I'm old, and my wife is as good as dead. So, what are you telling us? Literally, those are the words that he, I mean, not exactly what he said, but that's pretty much what he said. And the angel says, you don't want to know how you can know that, it, that it's true? It's because I'm Gabriel. I'm the guy that stands right in the presence of God, and God sent me to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Oh, and because you couldn't hold this hope and couldn't believe it when I'm telling you the truth, God declares that you're going to be done for the rest of the time that the baby is in the womb. You're not going to speak. Now, moving on into the story, because it comes out, they realize something's going on, and it says in verse 22, he comes out of the temple and he kept making signs to them, but he remained mute. Okay? He couldn't talk, so he's trying to communicate. Well, they didn't have sign language back then. <laughs> so he's trying to communicate, letting them know, but he can't say anything. No noise is coming out. Well, then months go by, and in verse 67 it says, the time came for Elizabeth to give birth. And she bore a son. And the neighbors and the relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call the child Zechariah after his father. But the mother said, no, he shall be called John. Now, the interesting thing in this is, how did she know that the baby's name was supposed to be John? Because Gabriel said to Zechariah, his name will be John. And Zechariah can't talk. And it was very unlikely that either Elizabeth or Zechariah were literate. It's possible, but it's not likely. So how in the world could they communicate? But apparently they did, because he said later on that he asked for something to write on. So I guess Zechariah was, was literate. But the bottom line is, somehow, someway, Zechariah communicated to Elizabeth that the name was to be John, and she had taken hold. You see, and this is the point that I wanted you to hear. She had taken hold of the hope that Zechariah had owned. Zechariah came face to face with God's angel, couldn't believe, then was struck dumb, and obviously has now owned this as genuine and real. And somehow, someway, he has extended this same trust and hope to his wife to the point that when the time comes, she says, his name's going to be John. 
And John, I mean, and, and that's the thing that I want, I wanted us to focus on for just a few minutes is this idea of the transference of hope. This idea that someone who has given up hope can have that hope rekindled and then be able to extend it or pass it on to someone else who needs the same hope. How many of you guys have ever known someone who had a crisis pregnancy? It is not... I, I have a child who lost a child due to miscarriage in their first trimester. And technically, in their situation, there wasn't ever a baby. Her body presented as if it was pregnant and actually started forming all of this stuff, but there was never a baby. And then she spontaneously aborted and had a miscarriage. And the end result was they thought they were pregnant and now they're not. So that later on, when their second child was indeed conceived and they found out that my daughter was pregnant, they did not want anybody to know. They told mom and dad and they told the other mom and dad and they swore us to secrecy until the first trimester was over. Why? Because they did not want to go through what they went through with that last miscarriage. Because they had told everybody, we're pregnant, we're pregnant, we're pregnant, and then they lost the child, and it was a complete horrible, blah, nasty thing for them to have to continue to explain over and over and over again what had happened. So they said, we don't want anybody to know about this until we've entered into the second trimester. But then even after that, there's always that that sense of anxiety. Am I going to get this, take this child to, to full term? Is this child going to survive being in the womb? And until the child is actually born, it doesn't matter how long that process is, it is. There's always that, uh, there's a, there's a sense of hope, but there's a sense of, of dread still and fear and concern. And I can imagine that this old shriveled up woman, and her old shriveled up husband, who had finally gotten their answer to prayer, and the child is going to be born, spent nine months with this balancing act between hoping in the word that they were given, that they were going to be parents, and the reality of a crisis pregnancy. Because when she was in her 60s or 70s, or how old she was, the likelihood of her being able to carry that child to term was not that good. And there's this constant day-to-day -day thing. Anytime she felt a twinge, anytime anything would be out of the ordinary, there was this thing. And they would have to go back to, but God sent an angel to declare that this is so. I can only hope in that and that alone, if nothing else. I can't continue to look at the circumstances around me because they're telling me it's not possible. But I have to believe and trust in this promise that was made and that's my only hope. That's the only thing I can hold on to. And so for nine months, Zechariah and Elizabeth did this crazy balancing thing between is the promise going to be true 
Or is everything that I'm seeing around me telling me I have no reason to hope, just give it up? But the day finally comes when he's born. And then, eight days later, they're trying to circumcise him and name him. And they have to say his name is John. Why? Because we've never been able to fully convince you guys of this, but God's holy angel came from God's throne room and declared that this child would be born and that when he was born, his name would be John. And then, if you read the last part of Luke chapter 1, Zechariah's mouth is indeed opened and he then proclaims this glorious song of grace. And that's such a cool, wonderful way to start the Christmas season. To look at the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and how they hoped against hope. Because when, when everything was telling them that their dream was never going to happen, and then God said, just trust me. Yeah. And they said, okay, we'll trust you, but it's not easy. <laughs> I'm going to take you at your word, God, but it's not easy. I don't have it in my hand yet. I can only hope for it. And you have to, day by day, every single day, renew that hope. Because if you don't, the enemy will continue to remind you of how hopeless your situation is. Now let's bring it into our own world. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 6. When I ask the Lord... What he wanted me to preach this morning. One of the very first things that came to my mind was, we have a hope that is steadfast and sure. It comes out of that hymn that we read this morning. Hymn number five, we have an anchor or whatever. Hymn number 595. We, well, let, let me read that. Let me, not, let me read it, let me sing it. Because that's, that's what's been on my heart all morning. Since the service, actually before the service started, when we had worship meetings, I wanted to sing it. I almost sang it at the beginning of our service, so I was like, now we need to actually read it. But I want to put this in our hearts, because I want us to carry this tune with us as we go this week. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. Fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. We have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. Now let's read chapter 6 of Hebrews, verses 13 through 20. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. 
So, when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, <coughs> the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. If you go back to the story of Abraham and the time of God making this oath with Abraham, <clears throat> some of you may have an understanding and may have studied this and some of you may not. And so I just want to quickly go over it. When a person, I mean, back, back many, many years ago, long, long, long before our modern day, um, people would enter into agreement and a handshake was enough. If I say it, my word is my bond. I say I'm going to do this, let's shake on it, we're done. Our word is enough. But in some cases, it became necessary to do more than a simple exchange of word. And so in those cases, back in the Middle East in the ancient times, what they would do is they would take a number of animals, and I don't know the whole history of it, so I can't explain if there's a specific type of animal that needs to be um, dealt with. But, but what they did was they would take the animals and they would slaughter the animals, and they would literally have the carcass. And they would lay one half of the carcass on one side of a trench, the other half of the carcass on the other side of the trench, and they would do this multiple times with a number of animals. And literally, the blood would flow down into the trench. And then the person who was making an oath, the one who said, more than my word, I'm making an oath with you, they would walk that blood path. And they were, in effect, saying to the one to whom they were making the oath, if I ever break my word in this situation, let what has been done to these animals be done to me. Okay? It's more than simply saying, I will. It's more than just a promise. It's more than just my word. It is, I am giving you a, a demonstration of what I am saying, how important what I'm saying is, that I will never, 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 ever, ever, ever break it. Now, in our world, when you buy a home, you go to the title company and you fill out a gazillion million forms and you have to sign 75 million times. When you go to a bank or a credit union to take out a loan, you have to fill out contracts. When you do a lease, whenever you buy a car, all of these contracts that we sign in our present day are equivalent to these oaths that the ancients did. 
it's more than my word. I'm saying, if I don't do what I've said I'm going to do, let this penalty fall on me. And the contract specifically lays out what the penalty will be. So we today still have this concept of oath-taking. We just don't kill animals and let them walk through blood. Okay? But we still do that type of honoring of our word. It's more than a simple handshake. It's a statement of, if I don't do what I say I'm going to do, let this happen to me. So we have this concept, even though we don't understand the ancient concept, we still have it in our, in our culture. And so think about what God said to Abraham, going back to verse 13 and 14. And then we're going to look at 16. When God made a promise to Abraham, okay, he made a promise. He gave him his word. Since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having, having patiently obtained, to me, patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves in all their disputes, and oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Well, it says these two, um, we have the promise, excuse me, the promise of the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed with us so that by two unchangeable things. And what are the two unchangeable things? And that's the thing that I had to do a little bit of reading on to, to understand this. The two unchangeable things are, number one, God's character never changes. If he says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. It's always the same. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Number two, if God commits himself to something by an oath, you can take it to the bank. Okay? There's a difference between God saying, I'm going to destroy these people, and Moses coming to God and saying, don't do that, God. And God says, you know, you can present me with a convincing argument, I'm going to change my mind. Okay? But if God swears an oath, he never does it lightly, and when he does an oath, it is never to be changed. So God will never lie, and when God makes an oath, it is forever, and it is never to be changed. <clears throat> so that is the anchor, that is the hope, that every person who follows God, who trusts in God, can hold on to. Let's look at these last verses. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope that has been set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope, and I'm adding my own phrasing here, a hope that literally enters into the inner place behind the curtain. We what is the specific promise that's been made to us? Made by hope, if you will, by God. 
that we will be called the children of God. That we have the very backing of God Almighty for all of our lives. That we can come to Him for anything. We will find our refuge in Him. We will find our strength in Him. We will find our source in Him. He will provide for all that we need. These are promises made to, by God, but it's also an oath. What was the oath? I would submit to you that Christ dying on the cross was the oath. God said, if it ever happens that either one of us breaks this oath, let it be done to my son. And he ended up doing it. So that you have the hope of going to the very face of God, into the inner presence, if you will, the, the Holy of Holies. That is the hope that we hold on to. It is not something that we have today. Because I can't freely walk into the Holy of Holies right now, because I can't, because I'm still in my human form. But there is a hope that someday... Either Christ will return and I'll be called, or I'm going to die and go. But either way, it is a hope that is steadfast and sure. And there is nothing that anyone can take from you. Now, what is the message of Christmas? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And it's an anchor for my soul. It is a hope for my soul. And I'll take this one step further. Has God given you a specific promise? Ever? Can you continue to hold on to that, even though it's never come to be yet? I can remember my wife saying, when we were going through the trouble that we were going through when our kids were younger, my wife would say, to me, God gave me a promise that we are not going to lose our kids, that they will be followers of Christ. And even though it doesn't look like it right now, I know that I know that I know that God gave me that as a specific promise, and I hold on to that. And it's not easy to hold on to it in the day-to-day, -day. but you know that God will never lie. And if God has given you a specific promise that you know that you know that you know that he has promised it to you, you can hold on to it and take it to the bank because it will come to be. It may not be in the timeline that you want it to be, but it will happen. And you can continue to trust and hold on to that. And that's the message that we need to be proclaiming at this time of year, especially is that we serve a God in whom we can literally anger our souls and have hope, not just for the, the in the sky by and by, we, you know, we'll be flying around on puppy flight clouds, but the reality is, even for today, there can be specific promises that God gives us that we can hold on to and know that we know that we know we will receive what has been promised. That's what it means to have hope.
ever try to steal it from you. Because it is literally an anchor that is anchored to the rock that never moves. Let's close by singing that song again. Hymn number 595.